Detroit Lions have intriguing players at every position and a few potential stars. This team is a lot more interesting than you might think for fantasy purposes. What's up and welcome in to another episode of Fantasy Football in 15 here at The Athletic. I am your host, Michael Beller, joined today by Derek Van Riper, DVR. We keep rolling along here in our State of the Team series. How you doing? Doing pretty well. We get to talk about a team that uh, nearly ruined football for me as a child, thanks to Scott Mitchell and Wayne Fonts and just uh, really a long, long run of disappointment throughout the, the 90s. Yeah, well, it sort of ruined football for Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, too. So uh, (laughs) hopefully things can uh, get a little bit better. If you haven't figured it out already, we are talking about the Detroit Lions. And to do that, we bring on our Lions beat writer, Chris Burke. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing all right, guys. Uh, Wayne Fonts, um, maybe it's revisionist history, but looking back on things, the Wayne Fonts era was not horrible compared to what came after it. Yeah. yeah, compared to the Rod Marinelli era, and uh, you know, <laughs> right. uh, a lo- lots of other terrible things that did happen. It, it, it seemed a lot worse at the time than it ended up being as history played out. One of the great things I think about this team is the stability at the quarterback position. We'll start there with this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Matthew Stafford was having quite the year before the back injury ended things for him last year. Played eight games, threw for just shy of 2,500 yards, 19 touchdowns. 8.6 yards per attempt, just five interceptions. Uh, going into this season, how does the back look right now? Can we assume he's fully healthy? And can this offense run back those sorts of numbers across a full 16-game slate? Yeah, I mean, uh, Bob Quinn, the GM there, told us in April, early April, that he was 100%. If they were in a, you know, if it was a normal year, they were an off-season program, he would be uh, there and and fully cleared. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's good news. Obviously, you worry a little given that it's been uh, two years in a row now with kind of similar back issues, and last year severe enough to sideline him for the second half of the year. Um, so, you know, th- there's always some risk at the quarterback position, and that doesn't help. But, yeah, like you said, when he was playing last year, he was playing really, really well. I think this offense um, with Daryl Bevel calling plays really fits him well. He's a good play-action quarterback. He's better than people have ever you know given him credit for throughout his career throwing on the run and sort of creating and um he's able to take some deep shots here you mentioned you know kind of the, the yards per attempt and the air yards everything went up last year over where it was two years ago and that really fits into with what he does well he wants to push the ball vertically and they've got you know two three guys that can do that for him and uh, an offense that's kind of built around it. So I, I think it's set up well for him to have another big year if he can stay on the field for all 16. Yeah, the weapons are really impressive. I mean, Kenny Galladay had a, a monster year last year, 65 catches on 116 targets, just under 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns. In the eight games he played without Stafford, somehow put up 550 yards in four touchdowns. It seems like with a healthy Stafford the sky is really the limit for Kenny Galladay at this point. Can he be a guy that pushes for even like 1,400, possibly even 1,500 yards and, and competes as maybe a league-leading receiver this season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think talent-wise he can. Um, and he had the 11 touchdowns last year. And, yeah, it was. I think that was that second half of the year, like you said, was kind of 
uh, eye-opening. It almost pushed him to another level in people's eyes, I think, because we knew he was really good. He started the year really well, had good rapport with Stafford, but then to do that with you know, Jeff Driscoll and David Blau throwing you passes and Marvin Jones banged up and Carrion Johnson banged up. I mean, he was um, really the only legitimate threat they had down the stretch and uh, still put up those numbers. So I, I think that that certainly was impressive. And yeah, I mean, I think he is a guy that they think can be, a you know, an 80 catch 1400 yard type guy. But uh, that said, you know, it's a it's a team that still is going to want to run the ball, especially when they get in front. Uh, there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense and uh, even one more uh, big one this year now with DeAndre Swift joining that backfield. So I think volume is really the question there because you're going to have some games probably where you're feeding him quite a bit and then other games where uh, maybe they get up in the first quarter and he sees two, three targets. And that's kind of the challenge with this Lions offense is um, they, they've got some big names, they've got some stars, but it's it can be hard every once in a while to kind of pick through and figure out who's going to be the go-to guy. Yeah, let's hit on that volume for a second here because one of the stats about this team that surprised me most when I was looking back at it from a year ago is that Galladay ranked 28th in the league in target share, 21% on the dot, uh, a smaller target share than DJ Chark, got in Jacksonville, then Cole Beasley, got in Buffalo, then Devontae Parker in Miami, and you mentioned that Marvin Jones missed three games outright, was banged up while he played through a few others. You had Carrion Johnson banged up for a good chunk of the season and still Galladay stubbornly low in target share when you look at the guys who are at his talent level across the league. Even with Marvin Jones being a strong number two receiver, I got to believe that that 21% target share goes up this season, right? Uh, I think, <laughs> I mean, I'm sort of in the same space. I mean, I think it will. I think some of it with, with Jones out of the lineup, TJ Hawkinson out of the lineup, you know, they really were uh, uh, kind of limited in the number of ways that they could use Galladay. But when everyone's healthy and when you have Marvin Jones on the opposite side, when the run game's working a little bit, you know, he's a guy that you can move, you know, put him in motion, he's comfortable. You can move him in the slot and create some mismatches there and, and kind of jump him all over the field. And um, they didn't necessarily have that opportunity as much last year because of just the bodies around him. So I think if everyone's healthy again, uh, yeah, you do open up some more avenues to explore him. I mean, I, he's the, clearly the number one receiver. Marvin Jones is still a really good receiver. Matthew Stafford really trusts him. Um, I think the big shift, you know, kind of maybe even two years ago, you sort of saw the shift start to happen when Matthew Stafford, you know, when plays broke down, Stafford used to look for Marvin Jones. Uh, well, I mean, he used to look for Calvin Johnson, and then he used to look for <laughs> Marvin Jones, and now he looks for Kenny Galladay most of the time. You know, that's his guy that uh, when things are falling apart, he's going to throw the ball to and let him go make a play. So uh, I think he's the preferred target on a lot of these plays for Matthew Stafford. So, yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think there is really, you know, it's, that we're just sort of seeing Kenny Galladay just scratching the surface. I mean, he's got a, the potential to be a top 10 receiver in this league, I think, and some of that has to do with how much they're feeding him. But um, yeah, I think they will try to get him involved more. And I think some of that has to do with just being able to use him in all the ways that he's capable of being used. You know, Marvin Jones just inside the top 40 among wide receivers in terms of average draft position early on this draft season. The offense does seem more than capable of supporting two regular starting fantasy receivers. So what do you think we can expect target-wise for Jones this year when you start to think about you know, Hawkinson being a bigger part of the offense and with two capable running backs now in the backfield. Can we see at least five targets a game, six targets a game each week for Jones with ease? 
Yeah, I don't think that should be a problem. I mean, last year he ended up, uh, what, around like 90 targets, and he missed two, three games. So I, I think that that is a, a fair number. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of boomer bust to his game, even more so than Galladay, because, you know, he's not a guy that they use a lot on um, receiver screens or slants or any of that stuff. He's a guy that they want to get down the field and, and run vertical routes a lot. So he's going to hit some of those home runs, and he's going to have some games where it just kind of disappears. But uh, I think, yeah, like you said, there is a there is enough volume in this offense to support everyone, but it, it is getting crowded because I, I think they do want TJ Hawkinson to take another step this year. I think they will use DeAndre Swift quite a bit in the passing attack. So uh, you throw in Danny Amendola, who's a really reliable guy out of the slot, and you know you're kind of getting crowded. That's five, six guys that uh, are going to be demanding targets. And uh, you know, again, a lot of that last year was. Um, that they played from behind so much. I mean, it was a three-win team. So even when they were without Stafford, and that contributed to Galladay's numbers down the stretch, is that they were just throwing a lot because they were losing a lot. So um, I, I think if they're more successful, you know, there's a chance it trends the other way, and they don't throw quite as much because I do think that they still would like to run the ball a lot and control the clock as much as possible. But um, if this offense is humming at kind of its peak through the air, then, yeah, I think, you know, five, six targets a game is – certainly reasonable from Arvin Jones. And it's very common that we see breakout fantasy tight ends from the back end of drafts two years ago. George Kittle, last year, Darren Waller. Already this year, a lot of people in the fantasy community are expecting it to be TJ Hawkinson. What is our reasonable expectation for the second year of his career? Uh, I mean, I think we saw sort of flashes of it last year. Uh, you know, he had a really good start to the year and then he dropped off and was banged up a bunch. But, um, you know, to me, I thought he was a guy that you kind of put at maybe 40, 50 catches last year and a handful of touchdowns. And I, he would have been close to that if he'd stayed healthy all year. And maybe you bump that up a little. Um, I don't know that this is going to be his huge – I don't know that he's going to be, you know, 900-yard, 1,000-yard receiver this year. But I think if he stays healthy, um, certainly he can get into that 40, 50 catch range, maybe 600 yards. I think the biggest thing is just the red zone touches. He only scored twice last year. And that was really one of the things, you know, one of the reasons they drafted him so high, one of the things he showed throughout training camp in the preseason is that he's just a really good player in the red zone and a mismatch guy there. And it just didn't connect a whole lot last year for whatever reason. So I think that's really, you know, if you're circling a spot where he's going to make a jump more than catches and yards, I think it's the touchdowns. Let's talk about the backfield. Big changes there with the selection of DeAndre Swift at 35 overall. And, and Carryon Johnson, I mean, was a second rounder just a couple of years ago. Uh, as you look at this backfield with these two guys in it, what's the expected breakdown of duties between the two? I know Bob Quinn's come out and said that he sees Swift as a complementary part of the backfield or that they can complement each other, I guess. But how do you actually see the carries and, and uh, pass catching opportunities being split up between those two backs? Well, uh, not to scare people away from them too much, but I think that they're trying to be uh, pretty obviously what the Patriots have been over the years, which is very kind of matchup proof uh, in the backfield. And so one game it's your pass catching back, and the next game it's your between the tackles guy, and then the third game you kind of combine them. And I think that that's what they want. They want to, you know, whatever the matchup dictates is who's going to be out there. And uh, Carryon Johnson even said as much last week. You know, he's he's expecting it to kind of change week to week depending on who they're playing. So I think that that's, um, that's sort of where you start the expectation. I mean, just in general, I think Carryon Johnson probably starts out the year as 
their early down primary early down guy because they uh, still think he can be a good you know between the tackles guy maybe get outside the edge a little bit he's been really good on the on on the edges uh, his first couple of years they just didn't use him as much that way last year but Swift is probably going to be the guy that are using on passing downs I would think because he is. Uh, he's a really reliable blocker, but he's also much more dynamic than Carryon Johnson uh, as a pass catcher in the open field. He just Carryon Johnson doesn't have that, you know, uh, next gear. I think that DeAndre Swift has. So um, I, I think that's kind of the 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 starting point for them is just you see Johnson on maybe first and second downs and Swift on third downs, and then kind of some mix of the two in there. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to bounce week to week. I I, do, I think there's a very real possibility that DeAndre Swift is the more productive of those two backs, especially, you know, if we're talking PPR leagues and, you know, you're getting points for those receptions just because I think he's more well-rounded for what they want in this offense. All right, we got one more question for you here, and then we'll wrap things up. If there's one person on this team that we are not talking about at all three months before week one, but that we will be talking about in November and December, who's that player going to be? Uh, <laughs> feels like we're talking about the main like <laughs> seven or eight guys. Um, uh, I mean, I think, you know, I'll, I'll throw out one of their other rookies. I'll say Quintez Cephas, um, who was their fifth round pick out of Wisconsin. You know, it's, it's a tough receiver depth chart, uh, but they never really had a number four receiver step up and emerge. They tried to cycle in some young guys through that role uh, and they couldn't find anyone that they could really trust to give Galladay and Jones breathers. And then when Jones got hurt, they, you know, there, there wasn't really anyone to play that role. And Cephas is a, is a really good route runner coming in. He can play some in the slot, can play outside. So I think there's going to be some chances for him if he can kind of leapfrog guys like uh, Marvin Hall. They signed Geronimo Allison, some of those guys. If he can get ahead of them, I think there's going to be some opportunities for him. And uh, as we've seen, you know, you're kind of one injury away in that offense from, from having a, a – pretty prominent role in a high-powered attack. So I, that's that's the guy I kind of circle and maybe check back on in a few months. Hey, Chris, I got to tell you, you are uh, speaking our language. You're talking to a couple of Wisconsin grads here. <laughs> so uh, definitely not sad to hear that Quintus Cephas could ultimately be in line for a fantasy surprise role this season with the Lions. That's our Lions beat reporter, Chris Burke. You can check him out on Twitter at Chris Burke with an E NFL. Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, sure thing, guys. Uh, also, when the season gets going, be sure to check out Chris and Dane Brugler on our Prospects to Pros podcast, talking about all things NFL Draft. It's a great pod uh, to check out. College football fans, I'm sure you're listening to this too, so be sure to check out Prospects to Pros, and that's going to do it for this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. If you are not yet an Athletic subscriber, you can get a free 30-day trial at theathletic.com slash football in 15. For Derek Van Riper and Chris Burke, I'm Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15. We'll be back with you tomorrow.